0: Mr. Schulte, how are you today? Hi, Mr. Paul. How are things? Better than the, okay. better than the Nasdaq today, Mr. Schulte. You're looking, much, you're looking the, much healthier than the NASDAQ than the Nasdaq today.
1: Yes, I'm healthier
0: than the Nasdaq, yes. By the way, it's given given the price action we've seen in the last well, certainly today, but really the last the last week or so, well, through the month of April. Being healthy in the Nasdaq is not really a very high hurdle to uh, to approach, is it? What are we gonna talk about? We've got to talk about that. We've got to talk about, about Remembi weakness, we've got to talk about uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter and what that means to the end of civilization. Why don't we start with China? China's been a four-letter word from a from an investor standpoint for for the last you know 18 months, really, whether that's the blobs in Hill House, tech regulation, now COVID and the handling of the handling of all of that. Mate, one of the things I've felt for the longest time is that the people dramatically overestimate and underestimate moves in the Remindia. What And what I mean by that is the Remembe is not a currency in the traditional sense, it's a policy instrument. The, the Remembe goes where the PBOC wants it to go and you saw remar- a remarkable period of calm in the Remembe in the face of dollar strength over the course of the last, the last seven months or so. And then all of a sudden, bam, we vault higher. For me, that's a precursor to further policy easing. I would love to hear your thoughts on that, and whether in the con, in my sort of. I'll give everyone my conclusion: is that Chinese equities are on the verge of being a buy uh, because you have the Chinese on the who are showing signs of a pending stimulus when the rest of the world is in tightening mode. Love to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. And of course, at the time when the buying opportunities are prevalent in China, that's when everybody hates it. And when you want to make that recommendation, people want to throw you out the window. And of course, we have good friends in San Francisco who are at major hedge fund, uh, major long-only funds who have been making the buy case for China for a long time. And they now are... They've lost their credibility, right? And so the people who have been saying buy China are their credibility is out the window. And so there really aren't very many people left who could say. And, and then of course you've got Berkshire Hathaway with egg all over its face, having bought Alibaba at one fifty, watching it go all the way to seventy seven. Mm-hmm. And, and then you're saying if they if they don't know how to do this, I certainly don't want to jump in here either. But but I do agree. I think your basic case is China is going to have fiscal stimulus in a big way the economy has completely ground to a halt. I think people have no idea how much you've had a, a complete closure of, of the economy when something like 360 million people are in lockdown and that's about 40% of the economy. And, and so not only internet, I sent you the pictures of those, uh, those GPS signaling on ships in Shanghai Harbor and there's hundreds of ships just sitting there. And of course, what happens is they can't use those containers to go back and to fill stuff up. And so the whole global supply chain gets gummed up because those containers are supposed to be somewhere else empty. And they're sitting in Shanghai full, right? Or vice versa, right? And so, so I, I think there is going to be a big policy shift to easing. Now, don't forget, though, I mean, back in 2008, 2009, the, the world was going into this t- tremendous squeeze, and then we, we, we got to see this huge explosion in liquidity. And of course, China's been putting on the brakes. I mean, one of the reasons why equities have performed so badly is because China's had the brakes on for six or seven years. China's been trying to deleverage the economy as much as it can commensurate with the amount of bad debt that c- occurs when you're trying to s- squeeze out liquidity from the leverage cycle. And so now I think this has to reverse itself. And so I think, remember we talked the other day about this simultaneous fiscal tax monetary trade policy with the dollar being so strong at the same time in the US, it's catastrophic for equities. Well, guess what? China is doing the exact opposite. Monetary fiscal trade and tax policies that are going in the opposite direction that are going to be simultaneously um, stimulative. And so so don't forget how low the, the the currency was at 6.3 for God's sake. I mean nobody thought the currency was going to be at 6.3. Nobody thought that 2 years ago. And so I think we could march all the way back to 8. I think that's that's fairly workable.
0: So let me let me give you let me give you let me argue against myself and give you something that will support my argument. And the support of the argument is simply this that in November we will have the formal re-coronation of Xi Jinping as ruler for life. For for Well, in in post-Maoist times for an unprecedented third term. 2022 was not meant to go this way. 2022 was meant to be a year of stability. The hard work, that the the tech regulation, the the tech crackdown, that was the 2021 story, and this was the year where we went to coast on in and we'd get through COVID and and growth would be fine and Xi Jinping can turn around and, and claim... That China was on this great footing and the like, and and all yeah. the great leader and ruler for life, and it just didn't pan out that way. And the reality is that what's not going to happen in the, well, what Xi Jinping will be determined not to happen is for the economy to be a shit show at the Party Congress. That can't happen, mm. right? That cannot happen. So the stimulus, I think, is coming, and I think it is it is imminent. Allow me to argue against myself by saying that that I believe RMB weakness is going to be temporary, and I don't. I'm not a believer in the, the move back to wait for the following for the following reasons: that the invasion of Ukraine by Russia has exposed a lot of strategic vulnerabilities to the Chinese, particularly around its over reliance on the dollar. Right, and again, the Chinese could not have anticipated, as the Russians did not anticipate, that getting kicked off SWIFT would be such a draconian measure by the west now if you were to do that to the chinese who are much more dollar reliant than what the russians are right that would be an unprecedented global economic economic crisis so what lessons has china learned from this well it le- it learned it learns another valuable lesson that it needs to be more self-reliant right and we've seen that in recent years with it's boost in in semiconductor manufacturing and 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 it's and it's pushing to renewable energy and all this sort of stuff that it needs to be self-reliant self-reliant inward economy requires a strong currency, not a weak one. And if you are going to be building out domestic infrastructure, if, you're, if you want to be attracting capital to build renewables, to, be, to build, to, to build a, a competitive and self-reliant semiconductor industry, whether it's biotech, whether it's life sciences, all the things that make an inward China looking great, which includes a lack of dependency on the dollar, that's a stronger currency environment. So, again, I think that this, this, this policy move of a weaker renminbi is essential from a cyclical standpoint. I do think it is going to be relatively short-lived, and by relatively short-lived, I think it's, maybe it's a 6 to 12 months of currency weakness bef- to get things back on a stable footing before we continue a structural march higher, which is good for a domestically inward-looking economy.
1: Well, I mean, I, I, think, I think that's right in general. I'm just looking here, on uh, the 2022 current account. Fine, if you're an inward-looking economy, you should be having a, a current account. Um, well, Sorry, let me turn it around. You should be having a stronger currency because you are generally running current account surpluses. But China's current account surpluses are disappearing. Japan has had current account surpluses endlessly and so it can have a strong, uh, strong uh, currency. China's been basically running current account deficits intermittently for quite a period of time here. And so when your current account deficit uh, disappears and your FDI you know, goes down by 80% or something like that, you have nothing else to prop up your currency. And so therefore, the currency has to weaken. And so I'm not necessarily a believer in your idea that a a I think China will be an inward-reliant economy. I think that's true. But I think it has a lot of uh, demand for foreign goods in order to make that uh, inward economy work. And so and, and the evidence of that is in the current account deficits. And so if you want to run current account surpluses, you have to quash growth. And China's not going to do that. Uh, well, so China will, China, listen, China will sacrifice the currency in a heartbeat for higher growth. Japan will not. Japan will not do
0: that. China will. So, Paul, to walk this out again, I think you and you—I'm yeah, just—we've not had this conversation, but I, I'm guessing you've had the same experience that I have with clients, mm-hmm. i.e., that for the last six years, since the inclusion into the the Remembe into the special drawing the right basket, the Chinese have had have had very hawkish monetary and fiscal policy. They've had effectively a closed capital account. They've had a very tight fiscal mm-hmm. scenario, not yep. just COVID yep. but prior to that. The leverage hawks have been well and truly in charge. Is that over? Is debt sustainable? Have we achieved debt sustainability in the Chinese, in the Chinese context? I mean, I think it's safe to say the housing bust wasn't the credit problem that many thought it was going to be. Not over yet by any stretch. We haven't seen the balance sheet destruction even with what is it? Something like seventy percent of, of dollar bonds for property companies trading at less than seventy cents in the dollar. Like that—that's pretty distressed sort of stuff. But you—you you haven't really seen the balance sheet destruction. So. Are the are the the days of of the leverage hawks being in charge behind us?
1: I'm going to say yes. From a couple of data points,
0: I think that
1: they have gone for so many years, year after year, uh, trying to you know keep the, quash the the overall leverage numbers to let the private sector take all the pain of the the property um, the property default, especially obviously foreign bonds while trying to, you know, know, any sort of destruction in, you know, capital land prices across China. Let me give you one important data point. Huarong is, right, is the asset management company, the distressed asset management company, traditionally seen to be sort of allied with China Construction Bank. And that is now bigger than Citibank, right? that's got a distressed debt level in, inside that entity, which is you know, bigger than Citibank. And a lot of those top people have been arrested.
0: Paul, can you, give, so, can you give everyone a little bit of history about Horong, about the four, the four that was one of the four bad banks back in the 90s wasn't it, that was spun out? Can you give a little history on those banks?
1: Well, yeah. So they're basically AMCs, they're asset management companies, like what the SNL crisis did in America. You had to have these, these distressed Asset management companies that soaked up all of the bad debt. In the 2008-2009 crisis, happily, that happened in one place called Fannie Mae. (laughs) Fannie Mae became the AMC of the American economy. It was in one location. It was turned into a contingent liability of the federal government of the United States. And that's got trillions of dollars in toxic, radioactive mortgage debt. Huarong is just like Fannie Mae. And it is now larger than Citibank, right? So so it's a trillion dollars plus of bad debt. And quite a few of those people have been arrested in the last twelve months. There's been a lot of hanky pank going on. There was a lot of uh, payoffs, of course, to um, take in assets probably above what they were really worth, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's been a lot of investigations from the Ministry of State Security. And I think the 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 these asset management companies, I think, have swallowed up about as much as they can of the bad debt. And so guess what you can't do? You don't want to be creating more bad debt. So I think we're going to get some major SOE consolidation in the next you know, couple of years. I think they have to pretty up the garden in in, chain, in in line for this People's People's Congress meeting in September, October. And so I'm going to say that we're going to see a lot of a uh, very big bounce out of this Omicron disaster that China's been embarking on. I gotta tell you, I talked to a friend today for a long time. She's married into one of the top families in China, and she was able to get out of her little village in Beijing to get over to um, Boston for meetings. But everything is completely locked down in Beijing right now. Nobody in, nobody out, subject to arrest. And this is true for so much of the country. He believes that, this is a very well-placed person I've known for 20 years, that the activity in Shanghai was very much vindictive for people who wanted to have their own party Congress Shanghai as it turns out wanted to have its own party Congress independent of Beijing and Beijing was not happy about that and so the things we are seeing on TV and on you know YouTube and on Twitter that are horror shows in Shanghai are vindictive payback for the Shanghai mafia to be out of line and out of out of out of place with the Beijing party in power. And so we saw a couple of episodes where the fire department was not allowed to come and pass a barrier, a COVID barrier to put out a fire and an apartment building burned down. And so there is going to be some political you know ramifications for this. And people have expressed fear to me in the last week, Paul, I have to tell you about where is this going? Can they try to push this guy out before October? Is there a danger of him being gotten rid of? I, I have not heard this talk in 25, 30 years in, in mm-hmm. China. I think people say, let's just please hold our breath, cross our fingers and hope to we get to October and get some sort of stability because China feels unstable right now. Yeah, and This look, is what I'm getting.
0: Yeah. And look, the reality is that, you know, the, I think it's a very naive Western notion when you hear these things ruler for life that yeah, that that is actually you know going to happen, and and it, it is not certain. It's highly likely that he reappointed for a third, unprecedented term. But it is it is far it is far from certain. You know, everyone if you haven't read one of my favourite Australians, uh, Richard McGregor's book, The Party. It's now ten years old, probably twelve years old now, Paul, and probably still mm-hmm. as relevant as relevant as as it's ever been. The fact yeah. that, that an Australian journalist was able to write the definitive work on the on the Chinese Communist Party is remarkable. Just a superb book. Look, the Shanghai Beijing political competition, the Shanghai clique, that is an ongoing. It's an ongoing thing. And look, Xi Jinping is ruler for life as long as it as long as it's at the bequest of the party. He is not. He is not bigger than the party. And let's and let's face it, the last two years for China have not been good. Whether it's COVID, whether it's the housing the housing issues whether it's their over this, uh, the over-the-ski support of Russia in in Ukraine, the deterioration in the US-China relationship. It's not been a good time for Xi Jinping.
1: That's a great point. Paul. All four of your points are well taken. I think the fifth one may be the most important, and that is people are just like, WTF? What is going on here with passing out the Xi Jinping little red book and having everybody spending time at work, including at all of the banks and the broker-dealers of the sovereign wealth fund? Having to memorize Xi Jinping aphorisms like "What is going on here? What is this? This is like crazy." And so, so there's a sense of where where's all this going, right? It, it feels a little bit cultural revolutionist here.
0: Yeah, and it, and Paul, the reality is that the social look, the social contract in China has worked for four decades, and the social contract between the Communist Party and the people of China to to to, to boil it down to its essence is that. People of China give up their democratic freedoms, but the party will give them economic prosperity, right? And for four decades, there has been no political and economic experiment that has worked as well as this one did. Right. 800 million people out of poverty is, is a remarkable achievement in four, an unprecedented achievement in four decades. But this is an ongoing this is an ongoing evolution, right? And I think the 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 tech reform was part of this. Common prosperity is all part of this. This equalization of trying to lift everybody up is is part of this.
1: Elimination of corruption was very successful under Huge Xi Jinping in the first five years. Yep. Huge
0: part of this, right? And look, did Xi Jinping use the anti-corruption campaign to purge competitors? Bo Xilai being the best example of of that. But it was definitely look when he came to office, the number one pro the number one issue that the Chinese people had with the party was corruption, um, and Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao oversaw and just a, an immense amount of wealth creation for a very tight group of people there are more bil- there are more billionaires in the in the in the Chinese communist party than there are um in the United States congress which i think there's only a like one or two if i remember correctly dozens and dozens of billionaires who are members who are who are obviously members of the party members of the of the party congress so look at the end of the day it's one of those tail event risks it's like taiwan taiwanese invasions it's like it's it's these 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 tail risks that are unhedgeable per se, unless you want to ignore China in its entirety. And I think, you know, despite the performance of Chinese assets in recent in recent quarters and last several years, it's going to be very hard for global investors to ignore the world, what will be the world's biggest economy soon, right? And well, that's
1: right. And so I would say a couple of things on that. I'm going to say that that he survives. I'm going to say he gets a third term, and I'm going to say that. There's going to be a very big stimulus package. I think that the stimulus is going to come in four forms. It's going to come in a form of a weaker uh, currency. It's going to come in the form of probably some sort of loosening, new forms of monetary policy loosening, fiscal policy loosening, and probably some tax cuts for SOE consolidation is what I'm going to say. So I'm, I'm going to say that we're going to get stimulation on multiple fronts. Also, I have to say that my my thing I sent to my clients last week. I do a weekly Sort of technical algorithm, and the algorithm in China was one of the the most positive in the world because everything is so washed out. This algorithm looks at you know, MACD and RSI and volumes and moving averages and and short interest, and all of those are just saying everybody is is everybody is so bearish and the markets are so washed out. When you get washed out in markets where everyone's bearish, those are the markets that go up. That, that's that's my little dirty secret. After thirty years of working in this bloody awful business, <laughs> washed-out markets where everybody's bearish go up.
0: Well, do you know that the if you take obviously I'm cherry picking a couple of sentiment, banking sentiment surveys here, but the Deutsche Bank sentiment survey, the Merrill Lynch Equity Bull Bear Index, and a J.P. Morgan Bond Duration Survey are all at historic lows in terms of bearishness for both equity and fixed income. The Deutsche, the Deutsche Bank survey? Globally, globally. Globally. The Deutsche Bank. I, Deutsche,
1: I can, I can Bank believe survey, that. I, I, can, yeah, I can believe that. I can believe that. And I, the, Like I said, the markets have been creamed underneath five stocks. The markets have been completely freaking creamed.
0: There's so much blood underneath and again, Paul, we don't talk a lot about single single names here, but and you, we've talked consistently. Uh, I've, I've asked you consistently about where would you be looking to buy some of these companies that are down at 70, 80 percent. Netflix, I think, is a very interesting one because it's not like Netflix is a unprofitable company. You know, very few people argue with the fact that it's going to make five billion dollars a year, right? And you know that thing trades now at twenty at twenty times earnings. Now it might not grow to the extent it's growing. I mean. Gave up 700,000 subscribers in Russia, which meant its number of subscribers fell for the quarter. That was the headline, but 700,000 of those were from Russia. And that would have, without Russia, it had positive, positive subscriber growth. Companies like this at market multiples for me are attractive. And just for full disclosure, I bought some Netflix for Angus's college fund because at Netflix at a market multiple for me is at a stage where things are getting extreme. Right, and again, it's not Peloton, it's not Sandbox, it's not Roblox, it's none of these unprofitable companies. This is a real business with a real franchise that makes real, real money with great visibility.
1: All right, no, I, I can, I can buy it. Now, the problem is, I think the also, I, I, I think Russia explains part of it, But look at the subscribership of Disney over the subscribership of of Netflix in the last, you know, twelve months. Disney is taking all of those subscribers away. From Netflix plus Russia. And I think that's what spooked people is how quickly Disney is growing. And, and so I don't know. I, 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 I want to say that Netflix could probably get a little bit lower. I was talking to my, my intern today, one of my best interns I've ever had, who's a German-American guy, but he's still very nice. He was a great intern for me in Hong Kong like five years ago. He's at Twitter and I was talking to him for a long time today. I think, hey, look, Paul, I'm going to do, I'm doing a U-turn on Twitter here. I think it's really, really interesting. I'm going to tell you why. I just took some notes to myself and I thought, go back and look at what Elon Musk said. He's going to have a a place to go, which is a public space for discussion on vital matter, vital matters, which is interesting. New product features, open source algorithms. The elimination of spam bots thank god right authenticate all humans unlock value i'm a very active twitter user i get a lot of my research now from twitter by the time i read twitter it, b- after an hour and i go to read my other stuff i've already read everything else everything else i've already read yeah. bloomberg new york times washington post wall street journal i've already read it in twitter and, and 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 these are so by the time you get all this other stuff it's multiple hours old. And what I was struck by, Twitter has 200 million uh, users and Netflix, sorry, Facebook, Instagram, all these other characters have north of a billion. Yep. Why does Twitter only have 200 million users? Twitter could easily have a billion users. And I think Jack Dorsey was just sitting on his laurels and he was in like whatever the hell, in like the Maldives or Mauritania somewhere, <laughs> so, somewhere minute, during the- yeah, he was getting a tan somewhere. He's 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 checked out, man. And so this is going to be really interesting. And I, I'm I'm going to say that Twitter is really interesting here. I, I'm going to say it's really really interesting here. And I because yeah, Twitter is, I Twitter is an a answer. business. As, as a business, yes, as a business, which is going to get a huge injection of hyperactive, get with the program, and let's get these goals achieved. Elon Musk stuff. And so I don't like the guy. I don't care for him one bit, but I, th- I think he's got all kinds of issues that he needs to get sorted out in a in a, in a therapist's office. But hey, what I kind of buy it after listening to my guy who I trust a lot and who's very, very bright and very mature from Twitter today for a long time. So that's kind of my take on Twitter. I'm I'm a buyer. I think it's really interesting.
0: It's, well, but the thing I don't understand is outside of, kicking, outside of kicking Trump off Twitter, which obviously was the controversial thing at the time, what do you not say on Twitter? why is it not the town square? And will Elon make it into the town square? Because pretty much, I can say whatever the, whatever the heck I want on Twitter right now, right? I can pretty much say- Oh, I, I,
1: I, I no, no, I hear, I hear your question, Paul. I, I, I think you, you can say whatever you want, but here's the problem. And again, I'm a very active user. I use Twitter two hours a day, at least. I would say it's very, it's very disorganized. It's the town park, but it's got Thirty-five people with soapboxes next to each other, drowning each other out. And I would like to have it be more organized, more right, but, uh, structured.
0: Right, but that's not the argument that's being made in the media about why Elon's buying it. He people are saying he's there to protect free speech. Right now, if you want to clean it up and get rid of the bots and and get and, and get like it's Scott Galloway talks subscription models and all this sort of stuff. I'm all for that. Right, but this whole notion that that Elon Musk is is saving Twitter from curation and all this sort of stuff is complete bullshit because it's pretty much you and I can say and do whatever (coughs) we want on Twitter. We might not like the structures and the formatting and the spam and all that side of things, but there's nothing we can't say on Twitter that it's the ultimate town square because you can say whatever the heck you want. Well, th- that's exactly
1: it. So I would say that 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 what I think he might be talking about as well is not necessarily kicking off political ideologies as much as kicking off nefarious, anonymous, powerful algorithms that are trying to push disinformation into the, the public square, which is, you, you can see it. You can see it a mile away in yep. some of these Twitter feeds, right? And so I think there's that. I think that Authenticating every human on Twitter is a really good goal, nice. and that will add huge value. That's what we're talking about here: is eliminating the um, nefarious algorithmic. And of course, the the guys who are and 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 there's a lot of books written about this. The guys who were you know really on Twitter in a big way pushing disinformation was Russia and Russian bots. 100%. And so I think there's I think there's that going on as well. I think I think that's the real discussion behind what he's talking about, and I'm all for it. I'm all for
0: authentication of each human. No, I think it's a great idea. Matt, how how does your week look? What are are you going to focus on this week?
1: Oh, I'm doing some individual work on a couple of companies that I think are some of the more inflation-proof companies that that are really, really interesting. So I'm, I'm poking around at some of these European interesting conglomerates who are involved in healthcare and defense and in other areas of consumer. That that are some really interesting conglomerates and have been have the crap kicked out of them and are super cash producers. And so so I'm all getting back to we really, I think we really have to get back to two things. What is the free cash flow? And what is my free cash flow relative to my return on capital? What is my free cash flow return on capital? That's where the market's going to go up. The capital is going to flood to the companies where there is the highest free cash flow returns relative to um, the capital base. If your returns are too low, the the market's going to kill you. If you're you're overcapitalized, the market's going to kill you. If you have too much debt and you can't make money, the market's going to kill you. And so you got to have the right capital mix with the right free cash flow. And that's what's going to survive. That's what survives inflation. And so we're doing a lot of deep dives on some very big uh, individual stocks with my
0: team this next week. Got it. Well, mate, it looks like with the Nasdaq down 3.6% on the day and, and back to within a breadth of a breath of the year-to-date. Clearly, yeah. clearly people are prioritizing cash flow, free cash flow over something. <laughs> um, so, my friend, have a wonderful week, and you and I will chat very shortly. Okay, my friend. All right, Man, bye see, you. see you. Adios. Bye.
1: Okay.